down on the beach. Not the greatest day in the world, but uh, it was raining, but it stopped. So that's really all I could ask for. Man, there are so many more. Holy fuck, it's windier than I thought. There are so many more don't come to the beach signs than I realized. Like there's one I saw the other day that I'm like, oh, I never noticed that one before. And just today I noticed one way up at the entrance to this park, way up by the road. There's a big like no beach access sign, which seems a little uh, incorrect because I'm on the beach right now. But I did get here just like one minute before a big train went by. I don't know, it's weird that just to, as I said earlier in one of these podcasts, like it was a, a long process for me to find this beach. And when I'm running through in my mind of like other Canadian cities, all I do is walk around all day. I love just walking and exploring and I can't think of another area as secluded as this in any city at all. And it's just interesting that just to be by yourself, just to get away from people, you've got to ignore a bunch of no trespassing signs, cross a not extremely dangerous, but potentially dangerous train crossing, and then be on a patch of rocky shoreline that's in between two giant processing plants. And that's it. That's the only place kind of in the world, you know, besides going extremely rural, as far as like a city type environment. This is it. This is the only one I've ever found. Surely that's the kind of thing that will inform a story someday. You know, I'll just transpose this idea into a different format. But the idea that uh, just to get away from people, you gotta do some crazy shit. I guess that's kind of already in this sci-fi story that I'm writing now. Not directly, and I didn't, uh, and I didn't use this example deliberately. But there is a recurring thing in this story where our protagonist finds out that she can kind of climb up the walls on the side of the station and find these little recesses that are big enough to sit in and just kind of observe the station. But, you know, you're clearly not supposed to be climbing up the walls and, uh, you know, these little recesses are obviously just like entrance ways to some kind of... Uh, God, this is a bad sign, man. I can't think of words today. Like ducks that you go in to repair stuff, you know? Uh, like there's a totally, like maintenance, that's the word, maintenance ducks. So uh, let me just do a little quick episode today. Let's see if I can hold my fucking brain together. Such a bad sign when I can't think of basic words. <laughs> I think today is one of those days when I'm more tired than I think I am. Today I got the super duper extra large coffee with no hesitation. And even though I drank the whole thing, it's still like, it's just keeping me level. <laughs> but I want to talk a bit about... See, this idea is not even as crystallized in my mind. Usually before I start a podcast, I'm like, okay, here's an idea. If anything, I got too many ideas. It's like, let me just pare this down a little so I don't just ramble for fucking two hours every day. But this specific chapter that I'm writing, how initially the chapter started with the two characters in this church setting, which is like, it's not a real church, it's like a museum. It's an exhibit in a museum that is a church from this girl's home planet. 
so she likes to hang out there while she's marooned on the space station because it's the only place that reminds her of her home planet. So the chapter started with the two characters, the one who's the visitor and the one who lives on the station, hanging out in this church exhibit and talking for a bit and then moving on to a different location and a bunch of other stuff happens. Then I decided that uh, I didn't want all that stuff to happen yet because as I was writing it turned into an argument between the two characters. So I'm like, okay, that's good. This chapter will just end with the argument, that's fine. And uh, this is just like a little example of how even though I go at a very slow pace, not all the time, sometimes I have a big burst of inspiration or more a burst of clarity, it's not so much inspiration. It's sometimes I really can see the path forward and I write a bunch of stuff in one day and it's a nice big burst. But in general, I like to go slow because I just want to make sure that the story is hitting the right tone, is hitting the right path that I want it to hit. And it's a weird feeling. Like, I guess this might be why people like to push forward and kind of force themselves to think of ideas and force themselves to grind out stuff because it's a very uncomfortable position to just know that whatever you got, what you've got planned in your head isn't right, isn't good enough, just isn't the right move, but you don't know what the right move is. And it really does feel like just like staring down into the abyss, like just staring into infinity. It's just like, who knows? It's such an abstract question. It's an abstract task of like, okay, so this doesn't feel right. That little excited part of me is not flaring up at the idea of what I've got set to happen next. So what is the answer? And I guess that is the, the trick with creative thinking, with being a creative person, is you've got to come up with that answer when there is no actual answer, like you've just got to trust in yourself, you've got to weave together the threads of this abstract task that just exists in your own mind. And not just once, not just twice, you got to do this 10,000 times. And then that's only one story. If you want to keep going, you got to do this a million times. You got to do this every day for your whole life. Every day, you've got to put yourself up against the fact that you don't know what to do. Every day you've got to admit that, you've got to accept it, you've got to face it down, and you've got to come up with some kind of answer. Every day forever. It's not a comfortable thing. Because no matter how many times you've done it before, I mean, it does get easier. I do have more of just a generalized faith in myself but in the moment, it doesn't help. Each problem, each question, each attempt to find the next step forward is just as abstract, is just as elusive, is just as invisible every time. I can really understand why there are people that just want to go into like the business world and just want to deal with widgets, you know, and just don't want to deal with abstractness. They don't want to have to look inward every day because it's not comfortable and it's subtle like it's not so much that I can see an idea and say that's wrong 
because like my first idea that this chapter would just move on and they'd go to a second place and all this other stuff would happen. That wasn't wrong. That could have been a thing. That could be the chapter. There's no way to point at that and go, well, that's the wrong thing. But it just wouldn't feel right. It would feel like that filament is broken, that like whatever tone and whatever sense of realism about the personalities and about the situation of these characters, just that it's just not stable anymore. It doesn't feel solid anymore. It just feels like a guy writing instead of a story that's happening. So it's not necessarily being able to pinpoint something and going, that's wrong. It's just that nagging sense in your mind that this just isn't right enough. This just isn't good enough. This just isn't solid enough. And I need to move more slowly and I need to think this through more carefully until the better answer becomes clear. But again, like, mental work like this is not the same as swinging a big hammer or something. Like, bearing down on it is not necessarily going to help. Thinking in, like, the stereotypical, got my fucking fingers on my temples and I'm staring at a, a desk and I'm just quote-unquote thinking, that probably won't lead to anything, because what is that? <laughs> you know? That's just expressing your own fucking torqued up, rigid, uh, again, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Tense, just the tenseness, I don't know, whatever. That's not the kind of thinking that, that does the job. That's not the way to get to where you're trying to go. You gotta think in a more abstract way. You gotta think in a more behind your brain kind of way, <laughs> you know, a more subconscious kind of way. Sometimes you just gotta sleep on it. You might have to sleep on it for two or three days. But you still gotta work every day. You still gotta pick at it every day. You can't just stop working, because that doesn't work. That doesn't allow your subconscious to continue working. That just, that just lets everything fall. That just lets the tension disappear. That's very important not to do. Keep working. But in the case of this chapter, just as like kind of an, an example that is completely unique to me, but I don't know, maybe it'll be interesting or something. So I decided that instead of this chapter going off onto all the various stages that it was going to go off on, instead it's just going to end in an argument, end prematurely, all that other stuff can happen later, but this is the end. So in my notes I just have this big, this big rant. Basically it's just that the science character who lives on the station is just kind of being sort of stiff and sciency and uh, condescending, which could just partially be how he is, could just be a function of how his people speak, and a function of trying to translate between languages, and just his personality. It's not that he necessarily is looking down on the other character, but they do come from really different civilizations. He's from a super science civilization, she is from a more barbaric civilization. And she basically loses her temper just at how this guy keeps talking to her. And this, this like fucking rant, it was great because it just kind of flew out of my fingers while I was writing. 
I was halfway done it before I even realized how far off track I was getting, but it felt so good to write, it felt so right. Where she's just like, fuck you, man. Like, why do you keep talking to me like this? Why do you think you know better than me? All you've ever done in your whole life is just sat on this stupid space station and studied your dumb books and you have more knowledge than me about the universe in this dumb book way, but you've never been anywhere. You've never done anything. In real terms, in real life terms, I know way more than you. I've been through so much more than you. I have got you beat in every fucking way as far as practical, real knowledge about what life really fucking is. I got you beat, so fuck you! In a non-sweary way, because as amazing as it sounds, this book doesn't have any swearing in it. But mostly because I just don't like swearing in space stories, you know? If these people are speaking weird alien languages and are being translated between one another, it just seems lazy to use 20, 21st century English swear words. Doesn't seem appropriate. There's better ways. But uh, I wrote that and I'm like, oh, that's great. That's, that's gotta be it. That's the truth. That's the real way this character's feeling. That's the fuck the old notes. It doesn't matter. That's great. That is the moment. But then it's like, all right, so I got that. But how does this chapter actually end? Because in the notes, I just like, I was like, okay, whew, I did that for today. That's great. Let me just jot down these notes for tomorrow. She's angry, tells him to get out of there. So he leaves the end. So then the next day when I sat down, it's like, okay, it's easy enough to write that. Like, she says, get out of here. He leaves the end. But what are the actual beats of that moment? What does she actually say? How does he actually react? I can't just write, hey, get out of here. And then he got out of there. <laughs> you know, it's too easy. It's not, that's not what he would do. Like, I gotta bring his side into this. How would he feel about getting talked to this way? How is he gonna react? And that's one of those things that, like, notes can only get you so far, because when you're actually writing things out proper, and you're in that moment, like, you're on that edge of, here we are, we're in this very moment, I'm in this guy's shoes right now, now what is he feeling? How's he gonna react? What's he gonna say? That feels very different to contemplate. That like engages a different part of your mind. Not the part that's looking at the big picture of the entire chapter, but the part that's only looking at that micro moment, that microscopic moment of now that we're in this guy's shoes and what, what is he thinking? What is he doing? And the first day, the most I came up with was like maybe if she's yelling at him, like, get out of here. Oh, that's the thing. She says, uh, she broke one of the pews. They're these big, like the altar and the pews are made out of rock. And she broke one in a previous chapter when she was just fucking around. And he was not very pleased, you know, that their exhibit is getting smashed up. And she's like, fuck your exhibit. This isn't your exhibit. This is mine. This is all my stuff. This is my people. This is my world. It's not yours. Fuck you. So when she tells him to fuck off, she's like, hey, fuck off. I want to smash some more shit up. Get out of here. So I thought it might be funny for him to say, hey, don't vandalize. And she would just like, just like freak out at him. Like, stop talking. Get out of here. And if she's yelling at him, he could yell back and they're just yelling at each other. And that was like a little bit funny. 
but it just didn't feel right because it's like it's not really how this guy would act he's way too mr spock for that and i don't even know if his species of alien like can even yell if they can even raise their voice that way like because his voice is coming through a translator it's not even I haven't gone out of my way to describe the physiology of these alien creatures on either side very much. But I like the idea of keeping it a little ambiguous, you know, and uh, I don't necessarily want to answer the question as to whether this guy can raise his voice or if his voice works that way even. So I slept on that and I'm like, no, nah, that's not it. That's not good enough. Then I thought, maybe if uh, she's threatening to vandalize the place, she could just start. She's like, oh yeah? Okay, you don't want to leave? How do you like this? And she could, like, tip over one of the pews. And I'm just thinking of the pews when I went to Catholic church as a kid. If you tipped over a pew, like, just tipped it backward, it's not actually going to fall very far. It's just going to fall into the pew behind it. And even though it's a big granite or whatever rock, you know, pew it wouldn't really be that tough to tip just because of the way a long chair is designed you know flipping it that way wouldn't be that tough especially for her because she's super super strong but she could do it just to be obnoxious just like hey you like that want me to tip some more you really want to test me why don't we see if i can deadlift this thing if i can lift it up the other way and smash it into the wall is that what you want and then he's going to say something about, like, you know, just stay cool, stay calm, stay collected, but just say, hey, please don't vandalize. <laughs> and she's like, okay, you still don't want to leave? That's fine. And then she's going to go start fucking with the altar, which is even bigger, but just, like, start pushing it until he's just like, fine, fuck it, fine, fuck, <laughs> you know, and he leaves. And I'm like, okay, I like that. I like that way better. We're getting somewhere. So that's one step further, but it's still not the end of the chapter. It's like... After he left, I was like, okay, she can just put the pew back. She can push the uh, altar back where it was supposed to be because she doesn't actually want to break this stuff. She's not really in that mood. And then uh, I had an ending to the chapter where she just lays on the pew and just looks up at the ceiling. But I've had a lot of chapters that have ended that way, just kind of a wistful look up into nowhere, staring into nothingness, contemplating the existentialism of it all. And I never liked that ending. I think a couple of the early chapters ended that way, but it was really early in the book when she was especially rattled and especially lost at sea. So that was okay, but I don't want to do that anymore because it gets very boring and pretentious really fast. So I'm like, not good enough. But then I was like, okay, what if though, now he's gone, but she could leave. And I had this other section kind of figured out where she was going to go climb up the wall and sit in one of these maintenance recesses isn't this great? I can think of words now. I'm like awake now. And she was going to sit up there and see one of the other people from her species down in the station. And he was going to look up and see her. And that's when this other guy from her species realizes you can climb up the walls. And it's going to lead to a spate of her people climbing up the walls and sitting in the weird maintenance recesses. And just like, so it's like, that could happen now. That could happen in this chapter. And I went and got that note. But it just kind of didn't feel right. So I slept on that again. And then the next day I was like, you know, I can still have that happen, but that can happen in the next chapter. That can happen later. So I split things in half. I put that idea into a new folder for the next chapter. But I wasn't sure. I'm like, but 
this chapter still has this lame ending where she's just laying on the fucking pew. So should I go back to this climbing up the wall ending? I want it to be its own chapter, but I don't like how this chapter ended. Gotta just sleep on it again. <laughs> and then today I came up with what I'm gonna do. The climbing up the wall chapter is still gonna be the next chapter because I wanna put some space in between these characters talking again. After they had this argument, I need to have some time where she's just on the space station by herself doing her own thing. You know, gotta let tempers uh, recede a little before they get talking again. Man, this is weird, this wind. I can't tell which direction it's coming from. Like, usually if I turn, you know, so the wind's at my back, it helps, but this wind is like coming from all directions. It's really weird. So yeah, that is gonna be the next chapter, but how this chapter is gonna end with this idea of her laying on the pew. So I was thinking about the logistics of trying to lift one of these pews. Like it's easy to roll it, but it'd be really hard to pick it up, you know, lengthwise. And I was thinking of deadlifting. Like there's a, this wrestler, Dalton Castle, who is a fucking awesome, he's so great. Even if you're not into wrestling, this guy's worth looking up. He comes down to the ring with the boys, and they're these two guys that like carry him on a throne, and they have the big palm leaves to, uh, to fan him with, and uh, right now he is the champion of uh, this promotion called Ring of Honor, and uh, you know, they form a throne for him to sit on in the ring, you know, like he sits on one of their backs, he puts his feet on the other one, because he's the champ, and they're the boys, and they're like his, what is the word, like courtesans, but male? Does that fit for male? I don't know, anyway. He's kind of famous for his deadlift suplex, where even guys that are way bigger than him, like he'll just grab them and do this delayed suplex, where he's just like holding them, just holding their dead weight before he suplexes them, and it's this cool feat of strength. So I was thinking about that, if you grabbed one of these big pews and just like deadlifted it up, like how tough that would be. But since these things are made of rock, you'd also have to be careful because, you know, the stress lines, the fracture lines in rock, like it's just easy for rock to break. If you put too much pressure in the wrong spot, it just crumbles. But I was thinking that would be cool as just like a feat of strength where she could just to get her fucking calm herself down, get her fucking kumbayayas out to just grab one of these pews and deadlift it up, but not to break it, not to smash it, like do it carefully just so she could stand it on its side. So this pew is just like a big pillar now, you know, it's just standing on its side. Just as like a way to exert herself over the environment, just to exercise and show how strong she is and just, you know, just like I'm fucking here, look what I did. But without actually breaking the stuff because it is the relics of her civilization. She doesn't want to break it. So I was like, that's a cool idea. What if she did that to every pew? She just goes around and sets all the pews on their sides so they're all like pillars standing there. And then she just leaves it. She's like, yeah, it's still a public uh, space. It's still uh, an exhibit. Come on in and see it. Oh, this isn't how we do things? Are you telling me this isn't how we do things? Cause I'm from here. Hey, I'm saying this is how we do things. The pews sit on their sides. Don't fucking touch them. You put them back down, I'm gonna put them back up. You know, it's just like a, it's a pointless thing to do. It's just a weird kind of dumb exertion of strength and of just exertion of will 
but it's so perfect. I'm like, ah, oh, that is what this dumb character would do. And I say this with all, all possible love to this character, but you know, she's a crazy, war-rattled, teenage, asshole, rhino person. <laughs> you know? Expressing herself physically and just dominating a situation is what she does. That's how she's comfortable. And I'm like, that would be just such a weird little, like, dumb teenage rebellion. Just such a great thing to do. It's like, you can't miss it. You can't avoid the fact that I messed this place up. I made it look wrong. I fucked it all up. But what are you going to do about it, huh? You're going to pit yourself against me now? Whose dumbness is going to prevail? Mine or yours? Because I say mine. And I was like, that's great. Like, it took me four days just to come up with this one stupid thing. You could easily argue that that is not worth it, <laughs> but... Oh, also with the deadlift thing, I kind of was thinking of that because of these, like, pieces of uh, driftwood and stuff that are down on this beach. It's amazing how, like, I'm just, you know, if I pick up branches and I'm throwing them around and stuff, how quickly the logs get just a little too big. Like yesterday, I was just tossing logs around and I'm like, yeah, fuck these things. They're all dried out and they're all just dead wood. But then you get one that's too big and I was just like, whoa, it suddenly felt like a caber toss. I'm like, I can't properly pick this thing up. This is really tough. And that's where I just thought the idea of kind of deadlifting a stone pew would just be cool because it really is like a feat of strength. But as far as the use of time, that's where kind of related to yesterday where I was talking about how like Aesthetically, I know what I like. I know what I want. I know what's good. And there's no talking me out of it. Like, I will try my best to see other people's point of view philosophically, politically, socially, anything like that. You know, I've got my own biases. I've got my own internalized ideas about stuff. But I'll try to see the other side. I'll try to see through my own narrow view and try to see a broader, more well-defined view of things. But as far as art goes, as far as fiction goes, there is none of that. <laughs> like, there just isn't. I cannot see <laughs> outside of my own sphere, and I don't want to. I don't want to be watered down by other people's ideas. I don't want to be I don't want my vision of what something should be to be lessened because I'm just accepting outside influence. So all these endings to this chapter, it's like, yeah, that would have been fine. Sure, that would have been okay. People would have read it and been like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Because it's, it's all subtle things. It's all like, well, it could be A, it could be B, it could be C, it could be D. They all got us to the next spot, so whatever. What's the big deal? The only person that would feel like it was wrong, the only person that would be able to identify that this was the wrong move is me. I'm the only one. And maybe this one moment doesn't seem like it matters. Maybe this one little chapter doesn't seem like it matters. But when you multiply this by an entire story, this is the difference between a story that builds and that moves in a logical way and that continues to gain momentum and that feels like a cohesive whole as opposed to a story that just 
gradually unravels and gradually falls apart. That's such a huge reason why most endings are no good. Because it's easy for a story as it's going to take some pretty wild twists and turns and it's like, yeah, okay, like all I can do is give you the benefit of the doubt because I'm just along for the ride. And it's only at the end that you realize none of these threads were going anywhere. That a dozen or two dozen or three dozen little things on the way here were not thought through and were not given due diligence. And then when it's time for an ending, it's like, well, here's just an ending, whatever. All this stuff is not going to come together because how can it? Because the thread was let go a long ways back and you can't just rescue it now. It's too late. Man, how weird that this beach is so deserted and that nobody uses it. It's so beautiful. This is so beautiful where I am right now. It's one of the greatest places I've ever seen. Like when I look at travel vloggers and stuff and they're in like fucking Myanmar and shit and I'm like, that looks amazing. But just right here in Canada, this is crazy amazing. And it probably wouldn't be as deserted as this. That was one of the big themes in The Beach, the Alex Garland book. And in uh, the movie, which, you know, the movie's not great. It's more like a trailer for the book. But, but they both hit home that idea that you want to go to these paradise places that you see in magazines and you see on TV that you imagine. But then you get there and it's just fat British tourists everywhere and kids playing obnoxious EDM music and it's not what you want at all. It's so weird that this place is just alone and it's so beautiful and nobody comes here. I hardly ever see anyone down here. But thank God for that. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad for that. I'm so glad that I found it and that I'm the only one here. So anyway, with the ending of this chapter, basically, like I was saying, it's hard to feel like something is the wrong move. It's easier just to not feel satisfied that it's the right move. Like that's more of the guidepost that I follow. Like there's just a little burr under the saddle. There's just a little rock in the shoe. There's just a little something that just isn't quite comfortable. It's just not all the way there. It's not nagging at me that this thing is wrong. It's just not satisfied that things are right. It's still tense, you know, it's still like my mental muscles are still constricted. They haven't let go yet because it's like the heavy lifting is not over yet. And when I thought of this idea of turning all the pews on their side and leaving them like that as pillars, I loved it so much because, you know, when you're thinking about a story, you're just like visualizing it in your mind. And I think it's natural for people from the 20th and 21st century to imagine such a thing as a movie. Like, I don't have actual aspirations for this story to be a movie. I don't know how that would ever really happen, and the idea of it getting through all of those hoops to become a movie is still miles away from it being a good movie. Like, for that to happen is like, it's just so many millions and millions of things that can go wrong. It's just impossible, you know? It's just hard to imagine, even in a realistic sense, but I like to imagine it in an abstract sense. Like, what if this was a scene from a movie? It's just a nice way to visualize things for myself. And I can see that scene. I can see the scene of the church with all of the big stone pews on their side. 
And from this point in the story forward, those pews are always on their side. And like just the, the metaphor of what that means, the visual of like, she's starting to exert herself. She's starting to exert her will over this environment. And it's so emblematic of where things are gonna go. And it's so perfect. And like, that's where finally, after this like four days of fucking around with different dumb ideas, now my mind, it's like a little marble that just found a little divot to just fall in and it can just stop moving. The muscles can relax, the heavy lifting's done. That is so definitely it. That is so definitely the moment. That is so definitely how this chapter should end. That even though this is all just an exercise for me, basically, this is just, this process of writing a book is just a fun thing for me to do, you know? It's like, it's fun to imagine it as a scene from a movie that other people would see. And it's fun to imagine that that is one of the indelible moments, you know? That is one of the iconic images that sticks with people that they would always remember from this theoretical movie, from this theoretical story. And it's okay that none of that's gonna happen. It's okay that that's a pie in the sky, ludicrous, one in a zillion fantasy. Because it's a useful tool for me, like to conceptualize of it that way. I'm like, that's the scene, that's the image, that's the moment, that is perfect. And I didn't have that four days ago. I didn't have it three days ago. I didn't have it yesterday. Today I finally got it. And that's why I think it's so important to take your time and to go at your own natural pace and not to push, not to force writing, not to just grind out words because then you're not going to have these ideas. You're not going to have these ideas that are truly you, that are truly what's inside of you because you'll know when you find them. But it's so uncomfortable to get there because on the path there, all you feel is lost. You just feel like a compass that's spinning around. You don't know where True North is. You don't know where you're going. You don't even know what the problem is, let alone what the solution is. But I think this is how to become a writer that writes things that hopefully someone will care about. But the only arbiter you can really rely on, the only guidepost you can really use is this is how to write stuff that you will care about. This is how to write stuff that you'll be proud of, that you will remember. This is how to keep yourself excited and invested in this story. This is how to write a story that you want to see to fruition so badly that you will actually make it. <laughs> you know, that you will actually get to the end. And then if it gets published, if people like it, if it goes anywhere from there, that's like a fun fantasy to have along the way. That's an interesting way to like test yourself to see if you've hit that moment that you're looking for. If you can imagine it surviving that gauntlet and making it through. Like this is one of those moments that if this thing ever was a movie somehow, this scene is staying in. There's no conceivable way that even the greatest hack of all time, even if Uwe Boll made the fucking movie of this, that scene is going in. And that was worth the four days. Because this isn't about grinding out writing. This isn't about 
trying to make a living, you know? This is about the art of it. This is about making the greatest thing you can make. This is about being proud of what you made. This is about following your own sense of what is the right thing to do and the right direction to go in. And that is way easier said than done. You know, it's easy to say, hey, don't listen to other people. Don't pay attention to them. Follow your own muse, follow your own heart, follow your own guidelines. But that doesn't, that's not the, that's not an answer, you know? <laughs> that's still miles away from an actual actionable plan. The mysteries of the subconscious and of where ideas come from and of how people develop things, who knows, man, it's different for everybody. There is no explaining that. So I really think all you can do is face down the problem every day, but don't stop until the answer is there. And if it takes four days just to find the ending to this one dumb chapter, you know, it's funny because that does, it just sounds like such a bad plan if you're working on someone else's schedule. If you're working on someone else's idea of how much writing you should do in a day or how fast you should be writing, if you're trying to write 36 books in the Fearless series, like, you can't afford to take four days to finish this fucking chapter. You just don't have time. But when you just think of it for yourself, if you think of this whole thing as an exercise for yourself, of satisfying yourself as much as possible, of making the thing that is the closest to you as you can, four days is nothing. Four days is such a little blip. When, when your goal is like eternity, you know, when your goal, I know that sounds grandiose, but even that is just more fun to think about. It's just more fun to think about the idea of a classic book. I want to write a classic book. And it really doesn't matter if you do or not. What matters is this process, this day-to-day -day process. What makes you and keeps you excited about this process? And what makes me excited is the idea of what if what if I just came up with the image that sums up this whole fucking thing, you know? What if I did? What if this is the classic moment? Then what's four days? Four days is nothing. Four days is a bargain. So that was not nearly as short as I expected, but I'm glad that I kind of fucking woke up <laughs> and I didn't forget as many words as I thought that I would. Man, that thing, that idea of uh, visualizing things as a movie, even if that isn't an actual realistic goal. I like that because it really does just make sense. It is just, it's our cultural milieu. That's just what we all know. That's what we've all experienced as movies. And it reminds me of that old Danny Boyle movie, A Life Less Ordinary. Not a great movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. But I always remember Ewan McGregor, this part where he's like, I had this dream where I was a contestant on a game show. My Scottish accent's not that great. Where I was a contestant on a game show. And I presume that has to do with my cultural milieu. Were I a tribesman in the Kilahari, for example, I presume I would have dreamed about something different. <laughs> and that just always sticks in my head, like, yeah. Of course your dream was about a game show. You know, what else would it be about? Yeah, and if you were a tribesman in the Kalahari, 
you wouldn't know what a goddamn game show was, but I always, that, that idea sort of always stuck in my head of like, yeah, of course when I think about these things, when I visualize a, a visual version of a story, it's a movie trailer or it's a scene from a movie. I imagine people in a movie theater watching this scene. That's just so much easier to conceptualize and to hold in my mind than the idea of people reading a book, you know? Because the book is such a conduit to imagination, you know? It's still just having to imagine the scene. So I guess the movie just like cuts out the middleman. It's like, well, there is the scene. There's my imagination and it's moving around in front of people and it's happening. So speaking of beaches and Danny Boyle movies and stuff, let's listen to a song from the soundtrack to the beach. Let's listen to Pure Shores by uh, All Saints. A hell of a tune. A goddamn classic. Thank you for listening. And I will see you tomorrow. I had an incredible dream. This dream, I've had it before. You're definitely in a note. I don't want to hear it. We were on this game show called Perfect Love. Never heard of it. Well, it's just a dream. I don't think the fact that it's a game show has any relevance. It merely indicates my cultural origins. I mean, where I had a tribesman in the Kalahari, for instance, the location would undoubtedly have been different. And I think the theme is universal.
places I have seen, many places I have been. All the desert swam the shore. Many faces I have known, many ways in which I've grown. Moving closer.